Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Terry Eastland. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the Supreme Court. And before we get to the big picture, Terry, a lot of surprises that the court allowed uh, several lower court rulings ending an attempt to keep same-sex marriage bans in place. And a lot of people seem to be surprised that the court didn't step up and take these cases and do something with them. Uh, yes, Michael. There, there, there were a series of, of challenges, if you will, to state uh, prohibitions or bans, legislative bans on same-sex marriage. And uh, I think there were seven petitions in all in the court, a petition being that uh, in which uh, a party is appealing the case up at the Supreme Court. And to the surprise of many court watchers, the court denied review of all seven of these petitions. And the question is, what in the world does this mean? I think I think there was a general anticipation among those who follow the court, those who watch the court, those who argue in the court, that the court would this term take uh, this issue and resolve it, that, that issue being of whether there is a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. But the court didn't do that, and why? And, well, it takes four votes on the court to decide to take a case. Uh, that's all, just four. And it's clear that one of the conservative justices must not have been willing uh, to vote in that way. Maybe all four of them didn't want to vote to take the case. Um, and uh, so they did not exercise that power that was available to them. Uh, and it may have been because they didn't know how Kennedy would vote. And perhaps uh, the four who the four liberals uh, didn't know how he'd vote either, which would be a perfectly rational basis for each of the two fours to decide not to uh, uh, want to take this case. So again, uh, there's no there's no conflict between the circuit courts of appeal. There are, there are 12 circuits, as you know, throughout the country, in which the 50 states uh, are distributed, if you will, and there's then one other federal circuit court um, handling specialized claims. But it's in those 12 circuits that the action is taking place, and the Supreme Court has decided not to disturb it. Uh, there's no conflict, as I say, between on, on one circuit against the other. All the, all these circuits that have uh, ruled in this matter have, have have ruled for a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. But, you know, these all involve state laws as well, and a state law uh, is of such high importance that often the Supreme Court uh, takes a challenge to a state law and decides it rather than simply um, waiting for a conflict. It doesn't have to wait for a conflict. It can do as it, as it may. But again, it didn't do that, and that's notwithstanding the fact that when it took the uh, the previous case, the Windsor case on, on the Defense of Marriage Act, and struck it down, uh, it appeared that in that case there was another case where the court seemed to be ready to decide this constitutional question, and it didn't do so because of a procedural difficulty in the case. So, again, what I would say today is that you have a, a case that, that's hard to explain. The court has not explained why it didn't take the case. It doesn't have to. Um, and yet it will have an impact. Um, uh, there are something like 19 states right now, I believe, that have same-sex marriage. Um, uh, this would mean that another five states... Um, uh, would um, or six more states maybe in all I forgot but how this how this works but it adds up to 30 I mean right now the the court's action means that there are more there will be more states that uh, uh, can go in that direction uh, and also uh, have the protection of the law I want to uh, ask a question yeah. uh, where in the Constitution is this right uh, I mean I just I, I think a, a lot of people are surprised after 200 plus years of not 
this right not existing as far as we know, to find out that it was lying there in the Constitution the whole time is kind of a surprise. Where are these circuit courts uh, finding that right? Well, there is no such right, of course. I mean, this is made up. This is not uh, something that is in the Constitution, either in terms of actual text. You will not find this language anywhere. Uh, you will not find uh, the history of the Constitution telling you that this is what it really means, even though it's not in any text. Uh, it is judge-made law, if you law, if you will, and it's uh, developed, been developed in pieces, bits and pieces through the years by the Supreme Court. And uh, now confronted with this question, there are several justices that are ready to announce such a constitutional right, just as they were in Roe against Wade with the right to an abortion. That too was a or dubious right. It was not a right at all. I mean, it didn't exist in the text or history. I mean, it depends on where you go to get your to get your to get your law. It matters immensely, and that's why the the justices who sit on the court are so so extremely important. But it's interesting. Every civil right that Americans enjoy has been voted on by their fellow citizens, with the glaring exception of abortion and now uh, same-sex marriage. Are we just at the point where the civil right to vote? has been usurped for the other uh, claims of of civil liberties? And the other way to put that is uh, the right of self-government. I mean, one of the most fundamental rights at the American founding was just that. It was the right of us as a people to govern ourselves. And uh, that's been taken away in the case of abortion. It's been taken, it's being taken away, let me put it in that that form, in the case of uh, same-sex marriage. But that's just such a strong, I mean, the idea that uh, it's not the the marriage part that's, that some people react to. It's the process of having voters vote again and again and again. This is our civic institution, in this case marriage. We are using the civic system to define it, one man, one woman. And then the courts are stepping in and saying all of that civil action, all that democracy, all of that lawmaking and politics is being thrown out the window. You'd think there would have to be some glaring, like a First Amendment you know, uh, uh, a hook to hang such strong legal action on, and the Supreme Court's not even going to step in? Uh, well, you know, that's and that's the puzzle that many of us uh, who follow the court uh, have today, because it just struck, struck us as odd that the court would pass on this after seeming to get right to the lip of the cup, you know, and, and, and to do something one way or the other. So uh, it it is, I think you're right to say that this is a denial of of the right of self-government. I mean, this should be an issue the American people get to decide state by state. So the Supreme Court's not going to take this case, at least at the moment, they're not getting involved in same-sex marriage. What are they getting involved in? (laughs) Well, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow they'll be deciding a case. um, I believe it's uh, Holt against uh, Arkansas. And uh, it's uh, it's a case about it's actually a religious freedom case. There is a Muslim inmate in uh, a state prison in Arkansas who wishes to grow a beard of a half inch length uh, for religious reasons. And uh, the the prison the administration of that prison says no, you can't do that. That violates our rules. We have certain rules here. And uh, and so he's he is sued. This case has gone all the way to the Supreme Court. This is what the court is hearing argument on, not on same-sex marriage. There seems little doubt to me which way the court will go. The 43 states allow beards by inmates to be a quarter of an inch length. <laughs> and uh, in other words, there's more latitude in the other states, and I think the Supreme Court will probably tell Arkansas to go and do what the other states are doing. 
that doesn't seem nearly as profound as the question of defining a social institution that's been evolved over the course of thousands of years. What I, other cases are they taking, Terry? I, I would I would say that's very true. That's why I gave it to you now, so you could make that comment. <laughs> uh, well, there's a Voting Rights Act, somewhat of a sequel from the recent Voting Act uh, Rights Acts we've had uh, from Al- arising from Alabama, and it, it it really it gets pretty technical, but. What it involves is the extent to which um, a state in its redistricting, uh, how, how it depends on the uh, on the number, the percentage of blacks that are located within each district in black and white districts as to whether they're sufficiently represented. And so this is a question that in a variety of, of ways has, be, has been asked over the years, but it comes uh, from Alabama to the court this term. I, uh, I think it's being argued fairly soon, in fact. It's very frustrating. Uh, I, I lived in South Carolina when they created a majority-minority district, and they were drawing in, uh, you know, uh, disparate regions of the state from the coast all the way to the, you know, central part to the capital, and often to the agriculture areas. And you, I, you know, I asked people, what do these people share in common? Uh, other than race, there's you know you've got urban people, rural people, uh, people whose number one issue is the seacoast, people whose number one issue is downtown Columbia, South Carolina, and it's it seems to me that you know Terry, uh, a Democrat and Republican of good faith could sit down in almost every state and draw up districts that actually reflect how the people in that state live, and yet that's never going to happen again, is it? It's always going to be this math of color and politics. Well, it's very it's extremely unfortunate what's happened because. There are these incentives, of course, to pack as many black voters in a district in order to elect. It's purely partisan to elect partisan, uh, Democratic representatives because there's a high correlation as to how blacks vote uh, with the Democratic Party. And so this is sort of baked into all that has to be done in terms of whenever you do redistricting. And uh, it's unfortunate that we have racial redistricting of such a nature. Any other interesting cases on the horizon? Well, um, what I would say on the horizon um, actually uh, is a case that 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 uh, the court has not yet taken, but it might just might take this year. And if it does, it would be a big case. Um, uh, you might remember that there was a case decided uh, during the summer by the uh, Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. The name of the case was How Big Against Burwell, and here the court ruled that the Internal Revenue Service may not issue. Uh, subsidies to those who buy health insurance plans uh, through the federal insurance exchange known as healthcare.gov. Now, the reason for this was uh, the plain text of the law says that subsidies are available on, on exchanges, quote, established by the state. It says that twice. And and yet um, uh, there have been efforts, of course, to put uh, such individuals on healthcare.gov, and to construe that is a is indeed a sufficient kind of marketplace uh, in the law. But um, that's what the court decided there. But in another circuit uh, down in Virginia, uh, the court decided uh, just the opposite. It said, "Well, that's that's not the case." Um, so we have this conflict, but it no longer is a conflict because the full D.C. Circuit decided to overrule what the panel had done. And so there's not a not a conflict, but again, you don't need a conflict. And the Supreme Court may decide that this issue, and it's being appealed, by the way, uh, to the Supreme Court, that this issue is big enough that uh, it should step in and decide it. 
because it would clearly have an adverse implication for for the um, uh, Affordable Health Care Act. Terry Eason, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. We appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate your, your doing it and keep up the good work. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.